Hey guys, Jesse Newell here, KUB writer for the Kansas City Star. On this week's Sports Beat KC podcast episode, I talked to Nick Schwert of Rock Chalk Sports Talk and KLWN 1320 here in Lawrence. We discuss KU's identity. Can this team have a defensive identity? Also, Quentin Grimes and Ochai Agbaji, how those two relate to each other, and can Quentin Grimes get going over the course of the next two months and the rest of this season? And finally, we take a look at the Big 12 race. How much of a challenger is Texas Tech to Kansas this year? Without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Nick Schwert of Rock Chalk Sports Talk and 1320 KLWN here in Lawrence. Happy to have Nick back on the Sports Beat KC podcast. Nick, how you doing today? I'm good, Jesse. What's going on, man? Not too much. Um, Kansas basketball, as we probably should have seen coming or should have known was coming uh, after that game against Iowa State, rebounds. And not only do they rebound with three straight victories, they rebound by winning a bunch of close games, which is what Bill Self does. So uh, let's talk about the Kansas basketball team a little bit here, and uh, especially the most recent game against Texas, 80-78 to at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, the Jayhawks hold on for a victory. Uh, just in general, w- what have you seen from this team ever since Yudoka Azubuki went down? And I guess, uh, what do you kind of think of this team's identity now that he is away and that the Jayhawks kind of have to refine themselves here at the midway point in the season? Well, I think it kind of coinciding with Azubuki going down has been the addition of Ochai Abaji. And what he represents, I think, more than anything else over these past three games is you're seeing the Jayhawks, whether it be because they want to do this, whether it's by design or just by default, it's their only option. They're playing to their athleticism a little bit more. You, you've seen them utilize these lineups where you may have two or three wings on the court at the same time. Guys who are long, who are lanky, who are active defensively, just knowing that it's out the window, the idea of this being like the most dominant low post team in the country. So what is your calling card going to be? I'm not sure if, if we have a definitive answer on that yet, but I think the early returns are that, well, you've got more long guards than maybe anybody in the country. How can you utilize that athleticism? Um, I think we're starting to see that, and probably the best example of that would be uh, the breakout game, if you will, from Marcus Garrett the other night against Texas. Yeah, I think it's fascinating, and this is how I've described it, Nick, and you can tell me if you agree or not, but... For so long, I think what Bill Self has taken advantage of on the defensive end is his ability and Kansas's ability to recruit an elite big man rim protector. Um, you've seen it throughout the years. You know, Cole Aldrich is a prototypical example. Jeff Withy. I mean, those guys that can stand at the back of the basket, and if you make a mistake on the perimeter, they can clean up, you know, clean up those messes inside and make it very difficult for teams to score at the rim. This year's team could have been that. You know, Yudoka's not a, a super-duper uh, shot blocker, but he's a presence in there. He's somebody that you have to think about. And when he went down, with KU moving Udoka, I'm sorry, moving Diedrich to the five spot now, it's sort of like Bill Self has flipped this whole defensive philosophy on its head because what he's done now, instead of having the rim protector protect the guards, he's putting four really good guards out there who can defend and, as you said, have length, have quickness, have athleticism and hoping that they can make up for some of Diedrich Lawson's failings on the defensive end, and hoping that that they can kind of hide his defense inside uh, and with pick and rolls with the help from those four guards. And and you just mentioned him. You know, Devon Dotson's super quick. Quentin Grimes has length. Marcus Garrett is the team's best defender. Ochai Baji has shown great flashes so far, being able to close out and slide with the best of them. So uh, it seems to me it's sort of fascinating to kind of see the subplot going on that 
KU once again seems to have a team that has a defensive identity, at least to this point. And mid-season, they've switched over to do something that Bill Self's teams haven't had to do very often, which is make up for a lackluster big man inside and make up for a lack of rim protection. So it is sort of interesting to watch this whole process play out because it's a very different way of playing defense than Bill Self has had to do in the past. But I think it can be an effective way if they play this right and and play to some of the things that you talked about here uh, about a minute ago when you have the speed and athleticism of those guards, those four guards on the floor at the same time. I think the the only drawback would be, and this isn't necessarily a drawback, it just, in my eyes, makes it more difficult, is that in order for y- your team to be successful with that defensive identity, everybody has to buy in, right? You've got to get everybody out there kind of willing to pitch in and do their part, and that's, I think, just naturally a little bit more difficult than saying, okay, we're going to have one guy do his job really, really well, and he'll kind of mask the deficiencies of all the guys around him. You don't have that luxury anymore. If he does get them to buy in, like, what do you think their ceiling defensively could be? Like, could they be an elite defensive team in your eyes? I think they could be a very good one, and I think it could be their identity. Um, I still think there's some stuff to clean up, obviously, because, uh, you know, if you look at the numbers, KU let a so-so Texas team put up 1.24 points per possession against them and that's just outside the top 10 of what Bill Self has allowed at Kansas KU doesn't win many games when you give up nobody wins many games when you give up 1.2 plus points per possession Um, so this last game against Texas was kind of the exception but uh, it definitely exposed some things with Kansas that can be exploited still and this is kind of going back to the conversation we had earlier in the season when Louisiana did this when Vermont did this You know, Nick, right now it's easy to get an open three-point shot off against Kansas. I mean, the way they defend the pick-and-rolls, the way they're trying to to hide some of the deficiencies, as we talked about, Dedrick Lawson, the way they're trying to to have, you know, help him out and and make it so that teams don't get lobs off of pick-and-roll situations. They kind of bump that guy in the lane, and you make one pass, and you have a guy on the perimeter who can shoot an open three. So for Kansas, it's trying to figure out what defensively you can do to best have this lineup be successful and um, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago but you know Bill Self it's so crazy that you know now they're doing a little bit of pressing and now they're pressuring teams a little bit more it seems like one or the other has to happen you know KU only forces six turnovers against Texas if they're going to play this little four guard lineup I figure they probably have to heat teams up a little bit more than that you know what I mean you you can't allow teams to shoot open three-pointers and let them get comfortable in their offense. It's like it's like one thing has to happen or the other, and we know this team isn't going to be the best defensive rebounding team that Kansas has ever had based off of the four-guard look and all those sorts of things, but it feels like they sort of need to pick a lane and stick with it and or figure out a better way to get improved three-point coverage because this is on film. I mean, and Louisiana played to this. I asked Shaka Smart about it after the game. He said, well, you look at how teams guard the pick and roll and how certain teams do it, and you can kind of – um, look and, and cater your offense to what they do, and it was no secret what, what Texas was doing to get those open threes. Texas isn't a great three-point shooting team, but they shot 34 of their 69 shots from three-point range. So for Kansas, I think there has to be an increased focus on the perimeter, uh, even against teams that don't shoot the ball well, because that's an effective way to score uh, in today's day and age of college basketball. It's not that difficult for a shot. So if KU can get some things ironed out there, I think you could see a very good team that can run, jump, be athletic, get steals, get out in transition, those sorts of things, but until that deficiency is masked or or at least covered up a little bit, it might be difficult for the Jayhawks down the line because uh, it's really, really tough to pull away from teams. You talk about this all the time, Nick. It's tough to pull away from teams when 
other teams are making threes and you sometimes have struggles making threes on your own end. Yeah, because I think that's one of the just unalienable truths about this team that's not going to change. And I think we're still at the point. I know I've asked you the question a couple times on here, like, what do you think their defining characteristic can be? And I think we're on the same page that it's going to be their defense. But conversely, that's basically admitting that the offense is always going to be a bit of a struggle this year. So you're, you're to the point where you have no choice, right? Like you, you have to become a great defensive team. Otherwise, I'm not sure what your defining characteristic as a team, as a program this year is going to be. And if you don't have one of those, it's going to be tough to convince anybody that you're a legitimate threat for, you know, a national title contender. Yeah, well, and this team sort of is starting to remind me maybe of some previous teams, and maybe what we're looking at here is the ceiling is a tick off or a couple ticks off what we thought going into the season but still at a point where you could have a very successful season in the end. You know, the, the, the number I'm thinking of, I guess the team I'm thinking of right now is like 2012 Kansas. I mean, that team, you sort of can, can see a little bit of similarity there because, hey, yeah. who was the go-to guy offensively? Thomas Robinson. You knew you were going to throw inside Thomas Robinson. Tyshawn Taylor was going to play off of that, that sort of thing. But, hey, he was in there basically for his offense. And then defensively, yeah, Jeff Withy kind of cleaned up mistakes, so KU doesn't have that rim protector. But you know what I'm saying. The the What that team hung its hat on, though, was defense and Jeff Withy and um, keeping teams out of the lane. Now, KU's going to have to win differently this way, but as we talked about, I mean, it, that team, 23rd in offense, adjusted efficiency, 3rd in defense. Uh, this year's team for Kansas, 24th in offense, 11th in defense. And so you get a few ticks up there. Those teams are starting to look sort of similar. The Jaguars have to do a different way with a four-guard lineup. But once again, you kind of have the same sort of similarity there, where it's like Thomas Robinson's on the floor to, to score points and be the offensive weapon. Diedrich Lawson's on the court to kind of score the points and be the offensive weapon and maybe hide him a little bit defensively. But uh, Kansas still sort of has a little ways to go to figure out a way to become elite defensively. And I honestly don't hate what they've been doing, which is a little bit of that token pressure. Um, you saw Texas use it as well, where it doesn't have to be a turnover. and It doesn't have to get a 10-second violation. Those are nice. But if you just get a team thinking about you and they have to reset the offense with 21 or 20 left on the shot clock, it's a little bit tougher to, to get a good shot on the other end. And KU has uh, the speed, the length, the athleticism to be able to at least bother teams in the backcourt. So I think you'll see a little bit more of that moving forward, but there's still a step or two for this defense to take, and um, that's kind of where you don't like having a guy like Yudoka Azubuki being injured midseason because you don't have a whole offseason to figure this out. This is something the coaching staff's going to have to figure out on the fly. Yeah, and I think Bill Self has earned the title of Master Tinkerer for a reason, and that's why it's kind of like it's almost funny to me to sit here and try and guess as to the conversations we'll be having and the articles that you'll be writing in the paper about how, you know, back on January 15th, we wondered what this team was going to look like. You <laughs> of know, course, can yes. you believe we were, can you believe we were, because I'm sure you write an article, something along those lines every single year, because that's just the way it goes. Like Kansas stumbles at some point, you think, could this be the year? And then we look back at it and laugh at our old selves. That's usually how it works, and that's kind of what we talk about with the adjustments that the coaching staff can make. And 
you know, I have to give them credit. They are trying a lot more things nowadays. You know, they went to the four guard lineup a couple years ago, shot a bunch of threes. That's not something you saw from Bill Self teams in the past. Um, you know, putting Svi at the four and having him guard guys like Bagley. I mean, that's not something you would ever have Bill Self comfortable with a year ago. And now, again, token pressure. I mean, do you remember Bill Self when he first took over and everybody had – he had the depth, but everybody wanted him to press. And it was like the question he faced every single week. And he's like, look, I don't give up easy baskets. Forget about that. Um, you know, for him to go to some token pressure, that's kind of a big step for KU to do it. But it's once again him starting to look at how he can cater this – um, system to the pieces rather than the pieces to the system, and uh, we'll see what KU comes up with here over the next couple of weeks. I think there is a conversation to be had, though, Nick, about uh, what you mentioned. Ochai Agbaji coming into the lineup, and then also Quentin Grimes, and what has come about from him in the last three games with Ochai Agbaji coming to the lineup. So, what are you seeing from those two guys, and I guess what do you think about them and their potential moving forward over the course of the next two months uh, coming up this season? Wait, Ochai and who? who who's the second guy? Quentin Grimes. Oh, oh yeah. I, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I, I kind of debated this yesterday as to, are these guys legitimately, are they competing for minutes, or is that a moot discussion because this rotation's pretty tight at this point, and they're both going to play, right? And I think that's the point where I've kind of gotten to. It's almost like... Um, like a tournament, like I'm watching the Karate Kid, like Ochai's first round matchup was against Charlie Moore, and he defeated him very easily, and Charlie <laughs> Moore has played about 13 minutes in the past three games, so now Ochai moves on to the next round, faces his next competitor. He stole one guy's minutes, now he tries to steal Quentin Grimes' minutes, but I don't think it's going to matter, because I think both of these guys are going to play, and even though Quentin Grimes is still a starter, you see who's out there at the end of games. You know, it's that's incredible to me, by the way, that three games into his career and coming in halfway through the season that immediately Bill Self's like, yeah, he's one of our five best. Well, no, like, no not only that, best. Nick, not only that, Nick, he's throwing the ball inbounds like yeah. he, he's the guy <laughs> yeah. that Bill Self game two. He's the guy that Bill Self trusts most against Baylor to inbound the ball, which is like the most difficult job at the end of games. And he's like, okay, I'm putting the ball in your hands. I, I trust you more than any of these other guys out here. You know, and I don't want to play sports psychologist here, but I do wonder if part of what makes Ochai look so comfortable, and I don't, I'm not trying to take any credit away from him for this, but like compare him to Quentin Grimes where you're asked to come in, be a starter, be an offensive catalyst from day one and help lead a national championship contending team. Whereas Ochai's like, okay, we're going to redshirt you. Now we'll bring you in. Whatever you can give us is great. Just, you know, play within the confines of the offense, play within your game. Um, just play defense. You don't have to be a big time scorer for us. Like they're, they're being asked to do different things for this team, but there's no question that, that right now Ochai is probably executing his role as good as anybody on this team not named Diedrich Lawson through three games. His role is relatively small compared to other guys, but it's it's hard to, to imagine him coming in and having played better than what we've seen over his first three games. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, and it's fascinating how the narrative changes so quickly, too. I mean, you hear people, you hear whispers about this, the, the, the people that are able to go to KU practices, and they say, hey... If you walked in blind and you had no idea of anybody on the roster and somebody told you, hey, one of these guys is uh, somebody who wasn't ranked in the top 300 recruiting-wise and one of these guys is a projected lottery pick uh, coming into the season. 
and then you told them, hey, these are the two players, you get to decide which one, you, you know, you hear some people saying that, like, in practices, you wouldn't be able to tell which one was which, or maybe you would be able to, and it would be the opposite of, of what we would have thought going into the season, and um, again, that's a credit to Ochai. Uh, gosh, he's comfortable. He's super athletic. He, you know, the thing I liked in his first game, and I feel like this is a discussion that you know maybe I'm, I'm the wrong one to ask about this because of previous things that you know I've written and said. But he shot a three pointer and made it in his first game, and I just remember like he got the ball. He was semi guarded. He put it up. He made it, and he just acted like it wasn't that big of a shot. You know, like he. Three-pointers aren't that hard, guys. You know what I mean? Like, I make them at the gym. <laughs> Nick, you make them at the gym. High school kids make them. But sometimes I feel like guys just get in their own heads. Like, they wonder if they should even take them. And it's like he just shot it. He, he has good form. He has confidence. He made the shot. And it's like, it's almost like you turn to your teammates and say, guys, this, this shot is not that hard. I, I can make a third of them. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Um, whereas Quentin Grimes, uh, I know you've mentioned this, Nick, on your radio show, Rock Chalk Sports Talk. He has struggled lately in the last three games and uh, continues to not really be the offensive sort of weapon that many people would have expected. And just looking at his advanced stats, I mean, a 94 offensive rating, which is you know next to lowest on the team with uh, about a 20% possession percentage usage percentage basically means he takes on an a an average role offensively for Kansas uh that's not good and that's not what you would have expected and I kind of find it fascinating that you know I click on his name and Ken Pomeroy does this thing where you have player comparisons uh to the statistics that you have in your in your particular year so I will throw it to you do you can you guess the number one player comparison for Quentin Grimes based off of his freshman season uh in the like last two decades of college basketball, it, it shouldn't. I mean, I, you can get this if if that is any help to you. Um. Oh. Okay. So that narrows it down considerably to all the players who have ever played. Um. No. Okay. Well, I've compared him often to Andrew Wiggins. I don't think that's who they're going to compare him to. I'm going to guess Kelly Oubre. That's a good guess too. It's actually Wayne Seldon's freshman year, which, okay. um, if you can think about the comparison, a lot of similarities there, and it might end up being another similarity after this year when. Quentin Grimes has a decision to make, just like Wayne Seldon had a decision to make. Like, hey, I came in as people thinking I was a top 20 pick. Things didn't go my way my freshman year. Maybe I've hurt my stock a little bit, so he decided to come back for two years. And the um, same sort of thing, you know, Wayne Seldon's numbers his freshman year were not that impressive, continued to shoot shots, continued to try to be a part of the offense, but uh, never really got on track until uh, junior year where he uh, became a much more efficient offensive player. But uh, what do you think? I'm going to throw it to you. What do you think about Quentin Grimes at this point, and, and what do you think about his future for the rest of the, the next couple months for Kansas? Man, I'm up in the air because we I thought he had really turned a corner in those three games that last uh, Eastern Michigan and then OU and Iowa State. He, would, he was averaging 16 points a game. Um, he was starting to hit shots from the outside, but that's not really what made me think that he had turned a corner. It's that he was taking better shots and he wasn't settling. I think he shot 55% in that three-game span. Here's some numbers for you, Jesse, that I think are kind of eye-opening for Quentin. Last three games, averaging six points a game, he's shooting 35% from the field, um, and he has taken 12 shots from three-point range compared to five shots from inside the arc. When he was in that really good three-game stretch, he took 16 shots from three-point range compared to 15 shots inside the arc and he went 11 for 15 from two-point range so it's not as though he stopped shooting threes I don't think that's what people should be advocating for Grimes it's that 
if anything, shoot more. Just just be more aggressive. Just take more shots because right now, and I think it, for long stretches of this season, he's not making defenders work to stop him. Right? Like he when when Quentin Grimes takes a lightly contested three. I'm not sure that's a good shot. If he's open, shoot it. You have to. You have to shoot it when you're open. But I don't think that he's necessarily gotten to the point where defenses are ever going to respect him when he's two, three feet behind the arc. He should be making defenses work to stop him because he's an elite elite athlete. And that's why I go back to the Marcus Garrett comparison from last night or a couple nights ago, which is that if Marcus Garrett can have that sort of a game, driving, attacking the rim relentlessly, there's no reason why why Quentin Grimes can't, because he's a better athlete than him. And that's what his strengths are at. And until he starts playing to his strengths, I don't think we're going to see him really fully maximize his potential. Yeah, I think it's just head-scratching, because if you look at Quentin Grimes and you look at the body that he has, he would be on the all-bust team. I mean, the guy is six foot five, and he's built solid with muscle, and his strengths should be getting to the rim and finishing through contact. And his numbers so far indicate, you know, 65% at the rim this year. That's a, a decent percentage for a guard. He should be great in transition. Um, and the way Bill Self started to run offense earlier this year, you know, with the four game that they have, I mean, you basically have an opportunity to drive to the rim, you know, almost every single possession where he's wanting you to get downhill. He's telling you to get downhill. He's urging you to get downhill. And the only, the only way the offense works is to put pressure by putting pressure on the defense. And he just doesn't consistently put pressure on the defense. He doesn't have that aggressiveness that we talk about. And so, yeah, this is uh, this is a head scratcher. I, I don't know. Um, part of this, too, it makes me wonder, and this is sort of a, a big picture topic, but I've sort of noticed in some of the set plays that KU has run lately, Bill Self seems to be going more to using those guys as long passers to get the ball to Diedrich Lawson. And... I just think that this team, without a Devontae Graham, without a Frank Mason, uh, and, and with guys like Devon Dotson and Quentin Grimes struggling a little bit to play off of ball screens and make the right reads and get downhill and be aggressive like Bill Self wants, maybe if you transition a little bit away from that and say, hey, if you're not going to show it to me in the first two months, I'm not going to continue to pound my head against the wall. I'm going to have you throw the ball to Diedrich Lawson, and he's going to go to work. And so I, I guess we'll see over the course of the rest of the season if, if that sort of trend continues, but... Um, this whole thing is sort of crazy because if you look at Quentin Grimes and what you could imagine that NBA scouts would see in Quentin Grimes, it would be that ability to be a big body who can handle the ball, who can get to the rim, who can create his own shot, who can make that basket. And we just have not seen that. And as you mentioned, zero for zero from two-point range uh, in the last game uh, against Texas. I think that basically says all you need to know about where he's at right now from an aggressiveness standpoint. And yeah, if the threes come, great. And if he can make a few, that'll definitely help Kansas. But I think we all expected a lot more out of him and a lot more efficiency out of him, and that, that just hasn't been the case so far. Well, and I know it's so early, so maybe this doesn't mean a whole lot, but in five games, he's only taken 18 shots inside the arc, but he's made 12 of them, Jesse. That's that's 67%. That's fourth in the Big 12 through five games. And uh, it would stand a reason to me to uh, take more shots inside close to the rim. <laughs> He's not going to be top five in the Big 12 all year long. You don't need him to. Um, but I think with his athleticism and his ability to handle the ball at his size, there's no reason that I, he can't shoot 55 60% inside this season. And I think that would be a huge boon for the offense. It would be a huge boon for him because it's just another guy that you have to kind of worry about. 
And I think that is, again, what this team is going to play like at their best. I don't ever think the offense is going to be a strength, but you want to maximize your potential on that end of the court as much as you can. A lot of that will come with transition opportunities and and being a great defensive team. But in the half court, I still think there are opportunities for Grimes to make his presence felt. Yeah, and you know the other part about this that we haven't talked about is he doesn't get to the free throw line very often, um, which is something, once again, if you just took a scouting look at him or a uh, a pregame look at him, you would say that guy gets in the lane, you know, creates shots and gets fouled. And uh, that's not something that's happened. You know, Devon Dotson, for example, he has 68 free throws this year. Quentin Grimes has 34. And we're talking about, you know, similar number of minutes. Devon has obviously played more, but Devon takes way fewer shots than Quentin Grimes does. So um, that's another thing. If you're talking about having more consistent offense and a a more um, steady way of scoring inside, I mean, getting to the free throw line is a great way to do that. But you can't get to the free throw line if you don't attack, and you can't you're not going to attack if you're not shooting two pointers. So uh, it's kind of a circular circular cycle here with Quentin Grimes and. Um, it's it's tough because he was, you know, everybody thought coming into the year, you know, whatever, the eighth-ranked recruit from Rivals, um, everybody's lottery for mock draft. It just it makes you wonder right now, like, is what what's going wrong here? I mean, is this still a mental thing? Is it that those guys had him over, you know, um, overrated a little bit? Is is he just struggling with the fit at Kansas? Um, it, it makes you kind of question what what you saw in the preseason or what you thought you saw in the preseason and make you wonder what the resolution is this, this is going to be for Quentin Grimes. Not too late. We saw Malik Newman, guy like that, go completely crazy in some tournament when he had, you know, for the most part, a tough year throughout the regular season. But um, it sure would be helpful for Kansas if they got a more consistent guy and, and more of the guy that they thought they got when they signed a top 10 recruit here a few months ago. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com/sportspass. Well, let me ask the question that I kind of joked about at the beginning of this conversation. Do you think he is in in jeopardy of losing his starting spot? Uh, I guess we would say to Ochai, right? Mm. Yes. And does it matter, I, knowing that they're both going to play? Well, I was going to say probably not, because if you're Bill Self, you probably want to keep his confidence as much as you can. And the fact is, you mentioned this, and Bill Self mentions this all the time, uh, it's sometimes not about who starts, about who finishes. And we've seen who's finished games for Kansas lately, and that's been Ochai. Um, and Quentin Grimes a lot of times has been sitting on the bench. So, um, I, I, you know, honestly, this is that's the sort of move, if I'm being completely candid with you that Bill Self makes after a loss. Does that make sense? Like yeah. like like if they keep winning here and keep winning by two or four or whatever and improve to six one, seven one, I don't think he's gonna change anything. But if there needs if there's a loss 
and things don't go well and there needs to be a mix-up, then maybe that's the moment he considers it. So I'm not giving you the answer of what I would do maybe, but I think that's the more likely answer of when it might occur is if KU had a setback and things need to be shaken up a little bit and Bill Self didn't want to kind of mess with the mojo of this team winning a bunch of close games. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think he looks at Ochai, he's like, well, okay, he's doing fine without being the starter, and he doesn't strike me as the type of kid who's really going to care whether he's starting or coming off the bench. So if you've already got one dude who's maybe lacking in confidence, just let him kind of work through it and don't maybe add to that problem by saying, oh, and by the way, uh, now you're not even starting for us. Real quick before we go, Nick, I, I want to get a gauge on it because it is good, like you talked about earlier, on – Oh, we're going to look back and say, hey, January 15th, we were such fools or whatever. Um, what do you make of the Big 12 race at this moment with the way Kansas has played? I, I, look, I tweeted it out. KU overall has outscored Big 12 opponents by six total points um, and is 4-1. and one. You know, if you count all the games together, they lost, obviously, to Iowa State by 17. But they do what Bill Self does, you know, close victories in Big 12 regular season. Um, all four of those victories this year have been by – uh, nine or less, and Bill Self is 37-3 and three in his last three and a half seasons in Big 12 regular season games, decided by 10 or less. So that magic potion continues to work for Bill Self and KU, but Texas Tech off to a great start. Kansas only one game behind. What do you put KU's chances right now in the Big 12 race? How do you handicap that race as it stands right now? All right, Jesse, I'm gonna, I'm, before I answer this question, I just want to make it abundantly clear. You and I have been talking on the radio about KU basketball for three or four years now. And you can attest that I am always the guy who's like, no, they'll be fine. Other teams are going to lose. They'll win games that other teams lose. They'll end up winning the big 12, right? Yes. Can we- you, yes, okay. I, yes, absolutely. I, this is the first time where I'm really, I, I really have concerns mostly because when when the Azubuki hap, uh, injury occurred, I, that wasn't a team that was clicking on all cylinders or firing on all cylinders. That was a team that was still kind of trying to find their footing. I thought that loss just added to the perceived issues about this team. Conversely, you've got a Texas Tech team who has lost one game this year, and it is to perhaps the craziest, if not the best, college basketball team that I've ever seen. And they played him pretty well for about 35 minutes, that being Duke. Texas Tech is really good, and they are a nightmare to face. Even if they can't score, which they can't, like they have serious problems scoring. It's kind of like playing West Virginia, not in that they, they press all the time, but it's that even if they're not doing everything um, they need to do to try and win, they're going to be so frustrating to play against defensively that it's going to make life difficult for you. And if they have to slug it out, They will. I think Texas Tech is really, really good. Again, like, let's see how many games you lose on the road. I I know that there are so many different um, little interesting tidbits about KU on the road, close games, at home, whatever, that are all reasons why they win the Big 12 every year. But I I have serious doubts this year, man. Yeah, well, (laughs) I I just – it's so tough because there is the history – of what we've seen Bill Self do with this league for 14 straight years. And then there's also just the reality that if we're being, look, if we're being completely honest about these two teams, they're about even, you know, Texas Tech and Kansas, even if you want to take 
a bias ranking towards Kansas. They're about even level teams in all these advanced measures you have. So knowing that and taking that and knowing that Texas Tech is up one game, even if they played a little bit of an easier schedule, which they have played a little bit easier schedule than Kansas, uh, to me, it's up in the air. I mean, this is a team that can win the Big 12. Absolutely. And it's. I think... Every game that KU has had to win to keep this streak alive, they win. And so it's almost to me like you circle those two Texas Tech games, and Kansas might not be better over the course of this this Big 12 regular season than Texas Tech is, if that makes any sense. But this might be the year they sweep Texas Tech, and then all of a sudden they make up that ground somehow. So it's... It's more fascinating than I thought it would be, and you know me as well, Nick. I'm always the guy that says going into the year, hey, look, it's only about a 50-50 chance, or KU's really only about 40% to win this. Let's let's look at the numbers, all this stuff. And I was actually convinced this year, like, hey, KU's preseason number one. There's no real challengers. I'm going to give them like an 80% chance, whatever. Uh, I'm definitely way back off of that. You know, I'm thinking this is a... 50 to 60 percent chance for Kansas. And well, again, it's that's, that's Tech, low. That's the best defense in the country, man. They like, are. That is the best defense in the country. And I am just like going through my brain trying to imagine KU, an offense that we have seen struggle at times against basically everybody they've played. I'm trying to imagine how they're going to score consistently against that team. Well, and I, you know. I think Texas Tech might be looking at the same thing with Kansas, like, hey, the offensive struggles they have, and then all of a sudden, KU can put a guy like Marcus Garrett on Jarrett Culver and kind of be that defensive stopper, and they're looking around saying, who else can hit a shot? Uh, they could face some of the same issues on the offensive end, too. So that might be a 46-45 to 45 game. Who knows? But um, that's the weird thing is that, hey, these two teams will get 40 minutes against each other and then another 40 minutes against each other, but that's going to go a long way to, toward determining this league race, and um, I, you know, I said this on on the radio yesterday, but it's I just I don't see a scenario where KU does better than fourteen and four in conference. I just don't. I, I mean, I don't know if you feel differently, but that to me is that's going to be a very good accomplishment for KU if they get to fourteen and four with the competitiveness of this league and how inconsistent. I don't know what word you want to use that they've been on the road where they can dominate for thirty five minutes and still end up losing a game or coming close to losing a game. I just don't know what to expect from this team on a nightly basis, which makes me think that. They're going to lose at least three more down the stretch. So what, that would that would make them nine and three the rest of the way. Yeah, to get and, to fourteen and, and four. <clears throat> yep, nine and three the rest of the way, and of course they have that game against Kentucky uh, that doesn't count for that. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So that would be actually be be ten and three. Uh, oh wait, I don't know. You're the math guy. Why are you fourteen making and me four? Th- yeah, I'm sorry, ten and three. There'd be four and one. They need to go ten and three down the stretch to go fourteen and four. That's that's going to be a tough ask, man. <laughs> But you know, Here, I, my, my future I, story already. Can you believe that on January sixteenth, Nick and I had a real conversation about KU you couldn't go ten and three down the stretch? Here we go. You know, we'll be yeah, second I, guessing I, ourselves. Well, that's the thing is, every year there's like a stretch where KU went reels off seven or eight in a row, and you just look up and you go, "Oh wow, everybody else is dropping games, and KU's just steady Eddie sitting there winning games." The I guess the counter argument, if we want to play devil's advocate, would be that Texas Tech really, really struggles to score the ball. And there might be a game where another team just happens to get hot from three. I guess I don't know. I'm just trying to. I'm just, I'm trying to come up with a reason. Like the, their their offense could inevitably cost them a game. But again, it's like okay, where's the evidence that it will? Because they've only lost one game, and it was to Duke. It was to Duke, man. 
So maybe not. Maybe maybe Texas Tech is a legitimate national title contender, and we just don't know it yet. Yeah. Or maybe we do know it, and that's what we're figuring out. Well, again, what they've done so far is what Big 12 teams that have tried to knock off Kansas haven't been able to do, which is they've won those two-thirds games. You know, uh, Texas Tech goes down to Texas and wins by six. I mean, that's the game every other year. A team that's challenging Kansas loses that game when they don't think – or home against Oklahoma, and Oklahoma was up in the first half for much of that game. Texas Tech comes back and wins 66-59. So we'll see. I mean, they've got a lot of those games coming up. I mean, home against Iowa State should win, not a guarantee. At Baylor should win, not a guarantee. You know what I mean? I can go keep going down. Yep. At K-State should win, not a guarantee. So I think those next three games will tell us a lot about Texas Tech. If they remain 7-0 and at that point – yeah, uh, KU's got a real, real challenge on its hands to try to get number 15. But if they drop one or two of those, as every Big 12 team seems to do every single year, uh, then this race will get tighter than uh, what we think at this point. And this all of a sudden will be uh, Kansas is to lose again, maybe, if the Jazz can reel off a few more wins here in a row. I'm already looking forward to this, and I hope I'm not being um, revealing too much here, Jesse. But uh, they, the Texas Tech iowa state game is tonight because we're recording this on a wednesday and i'm already looking forward to the people who don't listen to this until tomorrow after texas tech loses to iowa state and then they're just going to make fun of us relentlessly exactly that's just the way it works that's the way it works now texas tech is guaranteed to lose tonight against iowa state yeah it's almost like those people who hit me up on twitter about my poll starting to be the jesse chicks you know like arizona (laughs) state not ranked those fans hit me up on christmas eve immediately two losses uh, Houston, I get called out by a national rider. Uh, they lost the next game to Temple. It's so like, hey, guys, you, you might want to pick on Jesse because that has, <laughs> has proven to be a jinx over time, and we probably just jinxed ourselves when it came to Kansas and the Big 12 title. But if that happens, I'm sure lots and lots of KU fans will be happy knowing that the Jayhawks have an easier path to number 15. All right, Nick, we're going to wrap up the Sports Beat KC podcast there. For Nick, this is Jesse. Thanks for checking it out. Be sure to tune in for another episode next week.